You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Today we start a new series. Um, it's called Nine Weeks in Genesis. And you might think, that's a really short time to go through such a very long book, Pastor. How are we going to do that? Well, good question. Um, we are going to do an overview this morning of Genesis chapters 1 through 12. So we are going to knock out Genesis chapters uh, roughly 1 through 12, 1 through 11 uh, today, and then we will move on from there looking not at story by story, but person by person through Genesis. Um, so we're going to take a look at some of the significant players in Genesis over the next couple weeks, like Abram and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph, and we're going to look at their lives and what we can glean from them about our walk with Christ. And so I'm pretty excited about it. So we'll spend several weeks looking at the different major players in Genesis. But today, to get us to where we're going to uh, find our, our starting ground with Abraham, we need to kind of study chapters 1 through 11-ish, okay? Um, and this, this I titled just the introduction to Genesis because... Uh, well, for lack of a better word, um, it's really just our introduction. Um, there's, there's this big idea in Genesis chapter 12, uh, or chapters 1 through 12. Um, and, and, and as you read through all 11 to 12 chapters at the beginning, you kind of see this reoccurring theme. That something happens over and over and over again in the course of these chapters, even though the players change. Right? So if you have your Bibles um, and you flip to Genesis chapter 1, if you do that with me, okay, uh, and it's not on the screen, we're just going to kind of go on a journey here this morning. Genesis chapter 1, um, we see that before anything else existed, God existed. So God pre-exists everything. Um, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have this great God who out of his love made everything that ever was. And so the, the chapters kind of continue about how God made heavens and earth and stars and all that kind of thing. And that's the beginning foundation for our understanding. But then well, we get to um, uh, Adam and Eve and we get to Noah and we get to creation after Noah uh, and all of the people who flock the face of the earth. And we see that over the course of what, 1600 years, People tend to repeat the same things over and over and over again. Genesis 1 through 11 is a slice of humanity that shows us that we struggle. Um, it's uh, a set of chapters that reveal God's authority. He created everything, right? It's a set of chapters that reveals his holiness. He alone is the one who sets the standards for what is right and wrong, right? So in the Garden of Eden, he's the one that says this far and no further. I want life for you, not death for you. So I define holiness, God says. So he has a standard of authority and holiness, and he has this great love as it's displayed through Adam and Eve when he creates them in love, when he gives them this lush garden in love when he covers their sins in love. So we see authority and holiness and love played out, and it's all played out in relationship towards humanity. So he walks with Adam. He created Adam. He, he formed him with his hands. And this is a personal, relational God that created. Big idea there. But it also reveals humanity's consistent struggle to live in relationship with that God who has authority over us 
and defines a standard of holiness for us. Um, and, and frankly, we have a hard time living in a loving relationship with God. We struggle with what that might mean. And so we see over and over and over again humanity um, submitting to God and then rebelling against God. And then submitting to God and then rebelling against God. And then submitting to God and then rebelling against God. And over and over and over again, we see this in the first couple chapters of Genesis. And all throughout the course of that, something never changes. And that's God's consistent, persistent, never-ending love for humanity. Every time humanity fails to meet the standard of holiness, every time humanity struggles with God's authority, every time humanity rebels against the love of God, God's love goes one step further and says, let me just scoop you back up. Let me just love you again. Let me just show you how I can make this right again. Let me show you how I can heal your wounds. Let me love you beyond what you think is possible. And so the first couple chapters of Genesis reveal this, and I want to uh, review it with you guys. So if you're following along, we're going to go on a whirlwind, Genesis 1 through 11, and it will bring us to where we're going to lay our foundation for the next couple weeks. So if you want, uh, I will have references up on the screen and you can, uh, you can kind of follow along. Um, the first thing that we encounter, um, hmm, that didn't... Okay, oops, too far. There we go. Okay, the first thing that we encounter um, in Genesis is the creation story, right? Genesis 1 through 4 is the creation story of all of humanity. Um, we see this beautiful picture of God who preexisted everything. We see this beautiful picture of God creating heavens and earth and mountains and birds mosquitoes and platypus and everything that we know in creation God makes and he calls it really good but then he makes Adam out of the dust of the earth and he forms Adam with his own hands this is a personal act like he just spoke other things into creation but with Adam with humanity it was a personal thing he personally got his hands into the dust of the earth and formed man and then personally breathed into him the breath of life. So this, is, this sets creation, humanity, apart from the rest of creation. This makes humanity different from everything else because God really personally poured his breath into humanity. This shows something unique about humanity in God's eyes. God continued to love humanity. He said, Adam, I'm going to put you in charge of what I've just made. Everything that I've made, I'm going to put in your hands and trust you with. And it's going to be wonderful. But Adam needed a helpmate. God said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. And God wanted Adam to understand this love that Adam had for him. And so he said, I'm going to create someone so that Adam and this person can love one another. So he put Adam to sleep and took a rib from Adam's side and created Eve and breathed the breath of life into Eve. And Adam and Eve were married and God promised to them, listen, life is gonna be great for you in the garden. It's gonna be amazing. You're gonna have everything you ever need. I want you to be fruitful and multiply and have lots of children and enjoy what I have made for you. So they have been created. They have been given this wonderful place to live. But God also gave them, right, he's a God of authority and holiness, he gave them standards to live by. 
If you're going to live in my creation and oversee everything that I've given you, um, there's a few rules I want you to follow, things for your benefit. You can have everything in all of creation except one tree, just one tree. Don't touch it, don't look at it, don't breathe near it, don't eat from the fruit. Just stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you partake of that tree, it will not go well for you. But Adam and Eve, with free will, decided we're going to eat from that fruit. They were tempted by the adversary of our souls, Satan. He tempted them in the form of a snake. They partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And suddenly they realized, oh, we're naked and we're embarrassed. We've done something we shouldn't have done and we should hide. Suddenly their relationship with God was different and their relationship with each other was different. So we've gone from this beautiful creation and um, wonderful relationship status with each other and with God and we've fallen from that. And so we have creation and the fall. Suddenly Adam and Eve are running from God, hiding from God and God is searching for them. Not that he doesn't know where they are, but like all parents, it's that game. Where are you? Come out so we can have a talk. Quit hiding under your bed, you know. Don't hide in the closet. Let's talk about this. We can fix this if you come and hang out with me. I can make this right again. But Adam and Eve started doing the, I'm hiding from God. She made me do it. And then she says, but the snake made me do it. And suddenly, instead of living in harmony and love and relationship, people are pointing fingers and hiding from the very God who can love them back to the standard holiness. So we have creation and fall. But then God does this wonderful thing where he says, listen, I love you, I'm your dad, I've made you, I want so much good for you that I know that you've messed up in this moment. And I know that it has consequences and I have to dole out some consequences for you, but I promise that one day I will fix this completely that this struggle that you have to relate to me and each other will no longer exist. One day, I will send someone to fix all of these problems. In the meantime, while I work out this long-term solution, I will cover your sins by sacrificing some animals. Something will die so that you don't have to, and you will wear the skin of the animals, but you have to go out from the garden for now. And so Genesis 1 through 4 set up for us what humanity will struggle with for the rest of eternity. This beautiful idea of the way we should be living in harmony with each other and with God, our own struggle to live within that, and the fact that we step away from God's desire for our life. We sin, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves, we make choices that are detrimental and against what God would plan for our lives. And then when we do that, we run away from God. We run away from who can fix it, the fixer of our souls. But we also have a promise that God can fix things. Genesis 1 through 4 show us what the rest of humanity will look like. The beautiful creation, the fall, and the promise. And that is what gets modeled over and over and over again in Scripture. But we see it quite highly in the first couple chapters. Now, Genesis chapter 5 um, shows us a family tree. Okay? So most people skip this chapter. They're like, who cares, right? Uh, But Genesis chapter five is quite interesting because after Adam and Eve have been banished from the garden and Cain and Abel have had their problems and one has killed the other, um, we get to Genesis chapter five and it's the book of generations of Adam, okay? So a lot of it looks like this. Um, God made Adam and Eve. He called them good. He blessed them. They made children. 
When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, named him Seth. And then the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, right? A lot of children happened in 930 years. So we have the generations that go down from there. And if you read chapter 5 and you do some math, you will begin to realize that there are about 1,600 years in that span of chapter 5. And we need to understand that because we easily flip a page, right? We go, okay, Cain and Abel happened, and then suddenly we're at Noah. But in the reality of the span of humanity, that's 1,600 years in one chapter. 1,600 years between Adam and Noah. And a lot happens in those 1,600 years. A lot of sin builds up in those 1,600 years. A lot of people turn their hearts away from the God who loves them in 1,600 years. And so we have, when we get to Genesis chapter 6 and Noah, we have a problem. We have a humanity that is supposed to be loving God. A humanity who God made in his own image. A humanity who God is promising to fix. But we have a humanity that had 1,600 years to turn away from God. All it takes is one generation of God-fearing people to not pass on the truth about God's love to the next generation. And then you suddenly end up with a generation that's far from God. And just think how far that can get in 1,600 years. Right? 1,600 years of people who do not love and do not know the God who brought them into creation. And that's how we end up where Noah is. Genesis chapter 6, man began to multiply on the face of the earth. Sons and daughters were born to them. And it goes into detail about the Lord saw the wickedness of every man, and it was great. And the intention of every thought of every heart was only evil always. 1,600 years, and we have ended up at a place where every heart on earth was bent towards evil always. I wonder what it would look like to live in a world like that, where every single heart was only bent towards evil. Every intention of man was set for self and not community. Everyone was out for their own good at the expense of other people. Murders would run rampant. Drug use was over in abundance. There would be pillaging and burning and all the kinds of things that we don't like to hear about or talk about in polite society were going on during the course of the 1600 years. And it got so bad, the world had declined so much that God said, listen, it is so bad that I am sorry I have even made man on earth. I will blot out man from whom I made. I will blot him out off the face of the earth because I'm sorry I have made them. That's how bad creation got over the course of 1600 years. God said, I will wipe everybody out. It declined in sin. And then God said, listen, I'm going to destroy everything I've ever made. But the next verse is really hopeful. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And I love this because Noah was part of that creation who was bent towards evil always. Um, the inclination of every heart, Bible says, scripture says, we just read it, that every heart was inclined towards evil, which means Noah's heart was inclined towards evil. But no, um, no reason of Noah himself 
but of the heart of God, God chose Noah and said, I'm going to bestow my grace upon Noah and his family. And so God spoke to Noah. This is the story of the flood. God said, listen, um, I'm the God of all of creation, and I've got a plan. I'm going to bring a flood on the earth in this arid area where usually there's not a lot of rain. I'm going to bring a flood. I'm going to flood everything. I'm going to wash everything away. But Noah, I chose you and your family, and I want you to build a boat. And I want you to bring all of your family onto the boat. And I want you to bring two of every kind of the animal on the boat. And I'm going to float you above the waters. I'm going to save you from the destruction of the earth. And so Noah went through a bunch of stuff and, uh, and, and built, this, uh, built this boat. Um, and he went into it. And he was saved from the flood. All of humanity died. And all of creation died except for Noah and his family. But what's beautiful about this is at the tail end of this, the boat is floating on the water and God remembers Noah. It's not like God forgot Noah, right? It's not like, where did I put my car keys and you search and you search and you search and suddenly remember they're in the drawer underneath everything. God knew exactly where Noah was. The word remember is that idea of, and now it was time for God to act upon the promise that he made. So God caused the waters to subside, the, ma the boat mount, uh, rested on a mountain, and God released Noah and his family and the animals from the ark. And he said, listen, creation is starting anew again. And he gave them the same blessing and promise that he gave Adam and Eve. I know life has declined. I know I had to do some um, uh, recreation here. But now, Noah and your family, go forth into this new creation and multiply. Be fruitful. Make lots of children and fill the earth again and teach them about me. Right? So let's not repeat what has just happened. There is again this idea of creation and fall and promise. Only we see it with the decline of humanity, the destruction of humanity, but again the promise, the rainbow, right? And we saw the rainbow the other day. It was beautiful, right? Did anybody see the rainbow yesterday? Anybody? Nobody? A few people? Okay, good. Um, so every time that rainbow happens, that's a remembrance to us of the promise God made Noah that he will never again wipe out the world with a flood. That's a beautiful thing. We hold on to that, okay? That God promises to restore humanity, not destroy humanity. So we have Noah. Noah has um, experienced the destruction of humanity. He knows the way that hearts can be sinful, and he gets to receive the promise because of the grace of God. Now that brings us to chapter 10, which is another little bit of a family tree. Okay. So again, we're moving forward in history. Um, we've uh, experienced the creation, we've experienced the flood, and now we see nations descend from Noah. So God was right. He said, be fruitful and multiply. I promise that through humanity something great will happen, um, and, and descendants, nations descend from Noah. And these are the generations of the sons of Noah, because that's who's left on earth at this point. You have Shem and Ham and Jepheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. And you go through um, uh, the sons of Noah who create nations on earth. And that is how the earth is repopulated. Now, you've got uh, a good chunk of time that occurs in this, uh, this chapter 10. And then suddenly... We have a whole earth in chapter 11 that has one language, right? They come from one family. They use the same words. They come from the same family. They're all descended from the same Noah. Um, and we end up with Babel, a story that 
we might be familiar with from Sunday school. It's the story where all of the nations on the earth gather together for one great purpose, to build a giant tower to heaven to become greater than God. So again, we have a generation of people who have forgotten the goodness of God. They have said, listen, we want to become God. They are doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. If we just take this, we can know. If we just take this fruit, we can be in charge. If we just take this fruit, we can have the authority and the power. We can be like God. We can make the decisions. We can decide what is right from wrong. So this whole nations of people gather together. And they say, let us make bricks and burn them. And let us gather them together and build ourselves a city and a tower with its top towards the heaven, and we will make a name for ourselves because we don't want to be scattered everywhere. We want to be together as one people, and we want to be really powerful, more powerful than anything else on earth. We want to be the be-all, end-all. And God said, man, this is not at all what I was hoping for with a people united. I want my people, I want my family to be united, but I, I don't want them to do it at the expense of their holiness. I don't want them to do it at the expense of their neighbor. I don't want them to look at other people and say, we are better because we can build a higher tower. So God did this wonderful and mysterious thing. He took all of the people on earth as they were working together in unity and harmony towards sin. And I want to scatter them, God says. So he gave them all different languages. I don't know how this worked. Um, I have no idea. All I know is they were working together in one language. And then, according to Genesis chapter 11, um, God says they all have one language. And this sin is the beginning of what they will do. And if they continue, no sin will be impossible for them. So I will confuse their language. So there they will be dispersed over all the face of the earth. So God, God did a wonderful thing, right? He didn't flood the earth this time. He gave the gift of languages. And using this gift of languages, suddenly the people couldn't work together towards sin anymore. And so they were scattered across the face of the earth with different languages grouping by the languages that they spoke. They declined in sin the higher they rose in their building of the Tower of Babel. They declined in sin and God said, rather than destroy, I'm going to disperse my people. And it breaks God's heart to do that because he wants one people gathered under one tent of his holiness. But now he has a scattered people over all the face of the earth who are speaking all kinds of different languages in all kinds of different communities. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. And this is um, a, a Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, decline and dispersal. So where God once had this plan for a united people living in a holy garden, loving and serving and worshiping God and, and relating to one another in a way that is respectful and good and right, suddenly we have a people who have run away from God, sinned against God, sinned against other people to the point that God had to scatter them so they'd stop hurting each other and trying to achieve greater sin. And then we get to another set of genealogy. And again, this is like snapshots, like um, uh, kind of like you're watching an old family movie um, and you get little bits of time throughout the course. 
And so we've got uh, the creation, and then a bunch of time passes and lots of families. And then the story of Noah, and then a bunch of time passes and lots of families. And then Babel, right? And then a bunch of time passes and lots of families. And, and we end in Genesis chapter 11 with the genealogies of Shem, which is one of the sons of Noah, all the way down to Abram. Okay? Shem to Abram. And they're not living as long, perhaps, as Noah had lived. Um, and, and we get all the way down, all the way down to the end of Genesis 11, uh, where it says, where Terah lived 70 years and he fathered Abram. Okay? And this is where we want to kind of root ourselves. Um, we have a promise that will come. But the end of Genesis chapter 11 is, is a really challenging thing. Because we have a people who have sinned against God and other people. And they've been scattered across the face of the earth. But we're left without a promise. Genesis chapter 11 ends with a scattered people. Um, so far at this point in scripture, we have roughly 11 chapters of a cycle that's dependable. A cycle where God does something phenomenal. The people rebel, but God promises to fix it. God does something phenomenal. The people rebel, and God promises to fix it. God does something phenomenal. The people rebel, and God does something to fix it. But now the cycle stops. God does something phenomenal. The people rebel and are scattered. And that's where the story ends in Genesis chapter 11. And we're kind of left hanging. Like, what the heck? Why isn't there a promise here? Where, where is this going to be fixed? I thought God promised he would fix things. I mean, he did in Genesis. He promised that one day he would fix things. Does the story end here? And we're left hanging at the end of Genesis chapter 11 with just names. Who cares? What does that mean for us? Now, why do we care about all of these names? And, and why this one name, Abram, kind of sticks out a little bit? And we end Genesis chapter 11 with a divided, displaced, scattered humanity who are incredibly far from God in their worship. They don't have relationship with the God who loves them. Um, they have run as far away from relationship with him as they possibly think they can. But the reality is God is not far from them. Okay? The rest of the book of Genesis follows the family of Abram. Okay? He, he's Abram. Um, he hasn't gotten his new name yet. We'll get there. It's just a guy among a bunch of sinners with a family among a bunch of sinning families. But it's from this family that the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham or uh, Adam will be made. It's down through all of these 2,000 some odd years from Adam to Abraham that we see the root of where this promise is going to really flourish. That this cycle of sin and restoration and sin and restoration and sin and restoration will finally come to a screeching halt. And it happens through Abram. And I think, I think we have to review this in our hearts and our minds because we live this cycle still. Right? We struggle with the same things that these people in Genesis 1 through 11 uh, struggle with. Um, we struggle with the same cycle where we sin, right? We repent, right? We love God again, but then we sin again. 
And sometimes when we sin, we actually run away from God. And I've had this conversation as a parent several times with my child, um, and, and sometimes with, with other people's children, and sometimes with adults, and frankly, I've had this conversation a lot with a lot of people, that when you sin, when you do something wrong, God wants to fix it. He wants to fix your heart. But when we run away from him, we're actually running away from the solution to our problems. We think that God wants to crush us. But God has promised us life. And so if we run towards God, we can actually receive healing and hope because he is always near to us. We live in this cycle of sin and running and repenting, sin and running and repenting, sin and running and repenting. Um, and no matter where we find ourselves in this cycle, because I think we can all relate at some aspect to this, no matter where we find ourselves in this cycle, um, we have to remember that God is near to us. Okay? Even if we feel scattered, even if we feel far away from God, even if we've done a whole bunch of things that we know we shouldn't have done and we've hurt a bunch of people, God is still near to us. God never left his people. He was always right there, always right there present with them. And he has not given up on you. This is really essential. God never gave up. He never gave up. He said, listen, I see my children are hurting and I promise to fix this. I see my children are struggling. I promise to redeem this. I see my children are running away from me. I promise to pursue them. I will never give up on them. And he's also not angry with us. This is the one maybe we struggle with the most. We think that when we've wronged God, that God is just waiting around the corner to crush us under his fist or press us under his thumb. But God isn't angry with us. Scripture tells us that God is love. And he desires to pursue us and bring us back into loving relationship with him. Everything God has done in Genesis 1 through 11 is done out of love to bring us closer to him. God isn't angry with you. God loves you. But we live in this cycle of sin and running away and repenting. And then sinning and running away and repenting. And we don't have to live that way anymore. It took um, 62 generations. 62 generations, which doesn't seem like a lot, um, to go from Adam who separated himself from God to Christ who unites us to God. 62 generations. You know how many years that is? Uh, that's roughly 4,000 years. Um, roughly 4,000 years between the very first separation and the solution, the, the lived out promise in Christ, the, the promise that God made to Adam and Eve that one day I will send one of your descendants to fix all that will ever go wrong in the world. 4,000 years later, God works that out through Jesus Christ who died on the cross in our place for our sins, to bring together a scattered and distant people under one banner again and unite all people for the good of humanity and the glory of God. 4,000 years. People waited for that. But you want to know what the good news is? You don't have to wait 4,000 years. It's already been done. So today, right now, if you are living in that cycle of sin and running away and repenting, or you feel scattered, or you feel distant, or you think God is angry, it, I'm here to tell you this morning that he's near to you, that he hasn't given up on you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've said or where you've been or anything. 
He isn't angry with you. He loves you. And he wants to bring you into relationship with him in a way that you have not experienced yet. He wants to restore you in a way that you have never been restored before. He wants to fill you with hope and a purpose and a future. And he wants to unite you into his kingdom in a way that maybe you have been a little afraid to engage in. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.